0: Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit NorthMonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Man, what an incredible worship experience and what a beautiful sight to see God moving in people's lives and what He's done. The women have had an, an amazing weekend. Um, you know, Sadie Robertson-Huff had her thing down at the the uh, Monroe Civic Center, and I know a lot of our women were involved in that, and then the women's retreat going on at the same time, and to see and hear the stories. I went out Saturday and spent a little bit of time with them, and what an an amazing thing is going on. You know, when I think about women, and I I think about the struggles of of what women go through in the modern world. This one story always comes to my mind, um, and I've told it before, so it's a little threadbare, but it's my favorite story, so I can tell it more than once. But there was this Ohio housewife, homemaker, and uh, she had just stepped out of the shower and put on her house dress, and so she was going to do laundry, and this is Ohio, so they've got basements, and in the, in the basement, you've got the washer-dryer, and you've got the, the furnace for the house, and various of sundry other things. And so she goes down into the basement to do the laundry, and while she's down there, uh, one of the pipes had condensation on, and it dripped on her head. And she looked over and saw her son's football helmet. So she just instinctively walked over and put on her son's football helmet. And then she thinks to herself, while I'm doing this, I'm just going to go up. my my house dress is a little dirty. I'm just going to take it off and toss it in the washer too. So she takes it off and throws it in the washer. So now she's standing there completely naked wearing nothing but a football helmet. And she hears uh, someone in the corner go, And she looks over, and it's the gas meter reader in the basement. And he's looking at her, and she's looking at him. And he just turns and walks away. And and as he's walking away, he says, I hope your team wins, lady. (laughs) That's my favorite story about being a woman. I just think that's funny. And it reminds me stuff happens, you know. Stuff's going to happen Whether you're female or male, we just, stuff happens in life, and we struggle with various things, and we get wrapped up in different things, and to make it even harder, there's this constant nagging problem that's particularly acute in our generation of longing, and I see so much longing today. In fact, if you asked me to describe America in a single word, I would say longing which is ironic because we've been given so much. There's never been a a nation, there's never been a group of people that have lived with more than what we have today, and yet longing still describes us, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because we have too many choices And, you know, you get that new truck and you look around and somebody else has got a better truck. And so you're no longer satisfied with the truck that you have. You want somebody else's truck or, you know, the same thing can be in play with clothes, dress, house, whatever. And there's this constant longing. Maybe we're spoiled. Maybe, Maybe social media plays into that. I think it does particularly for the women in this and not to be... Sexist or anything like that, but it seems like that becomes a really difficult struggle because you look at social media and you see what's really face, it ought to be called fake book instead of Facebook because it's a moment in time that was captured at the speed of a shutter of a camera and it gives you the impression that life is always like that for them and it's hard not to be comparative and it's hard not to be competitive. And so that creates a... Uh, sort of a discontent, and it it stimulates the longing that's a part of our life, and so it's hard to stay satisfied. In fact, I would say in America, here's our problem. We think that fulfillment means feeling full, F-E-E-L-I-N-G. We think it means feeling full, but we never really feel full because we aren't full, Um, And so we cram everything into our lives. We cram kids and minivans and activities and vacations and uh, clothes and houses and vehicles and, you know, experiences and everything else we can get trying to somehow feel full. But in Christ, fulfillment means to be filled full, F-I-L-L-E-D. And it's a subtle difference, but it's a very key to understanding God's plan for your life. Because when Christ fills me, then I'm full. And when I am full, I feel full. And the word for that is fulfilled. Um, And when we're fulfilled, we feel full. We feel at peace. We've been dealing with John chapter 6. And I want us to go there again because the whole point of this This text is dependency on God. So uh, get your Bibles out if you can. Turn your devices on. Let's go to John chapter 6. It started with Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. The miracle of of feeding the, the masses... And the point of that, Jesus had started with his disciples and he says, what are we going to do? How are you going to feed them? And they're like, man, we can't feed them. And the point wasn't for the disciples to feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. It was for them to realize they couldn't do it. And then Jesus was going to do it to demonstrate to them, I can do what you can't do. So you need to depend on me. Unfortunately, the disciples did not get that message. Something happened in the translation. They got caught up in being part of the ensemble of Jesus the rock star or whatever, but they didn't get it. So Jesus gives them a second object lesson that night. They get into the boat. They're on the, uh, the raging sea of Galilee and, and they're wrestling against the oars for, for, you know, a long period of time, Jesus comes walking on the water. And and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the whole image of Jesus being on the water, you know, and what that meant. Because when you're in a raging storm on a sea, what are you most afraid of? You're afraid of of going below the waves, of, of being buried under the water. And Jesus is walking on the water demonstrating, I'm on top of what you're afraid of being buried under so depend on me. And when he gets into the boat, the sea calms, they learn their lesson. The Bible says they bowed down and worshiped him. And so at the end of chapter six, he moves from two object lessons to a sermon. And the point of the sermon is the same. It's a point of dependency, but it's slightly different in that the focus is on fulfillment and he begins to give the sermon in verse 22. So let's go there. Now, look, I don't have time to deal. We're going to deal with the whole end of this chapter. I can't deal with every verse. I don't have time. And, you know, you'll, you can go read it yourself afterwards so that you get the context of the story. So I'm going to dance across a few of the key verses, try to lift them out, give you the insight. I think that, that the Holy Spirit was, was pointing us toward in this. So it starts in verse 22. The next day, the crowd, that's the same crowd that got fed the day before with the five loaves, two fish. The crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there. Uh, The disciples had gotten into the only boat they had except one, and that Jesus had not entered with His disciples into the boat, but that His disciples had gone away alone. And so the crowd is desperate to find Jesus. Why are they desperate to find Jesus? Is it because they're seeking salvation? Is it because they're looking for holiness in their lives and they want to rectify the problem of shame and guilt and regret and all those things? No, they're trying to find Jesus because they're hungry and they want him to feed them again. That was their whole point. Skip down to verse 26 and Jesus points this out. Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs. You're not here because of the miracle show but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now this, you know, there are some people who were following Jesus because Jesus had the words of life and they realized this guy is is speaking into my heart, my spirit, the very thing I need to hear. There were other people who were there just to watch the show. You know, they they wanted to see people get healed. They wanted the lame to, They you know, they just here there for the miracles. But then there was that third set that was just there for the food. And I don't know, in some way, that motivation seems to be the lowest, the most base. It's, it's really, I'm going to follow God for what I think He should do for me. And uh, so Jesus tells them they're looking for satisfaction in the wrong place. He says, verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes. Right, And, and you know, and, and by the way, you know, He's not just talking about food here. Is that this, the word is bread that he uses, but he's not just talking about bread. He's talking about the whole, the whole core of what it is that's creating this longing in us, these temporary, temporal things that we think are going to satisfy us. And that never do. He said, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father has set His seal... You know, I I read that and I go, man, I need to check the copyright on this. Is is this written first century or is this written 21st century? Was this written to the Jews or is this written to us? Because we're spending our time working for food that perishes. You remember when you first got your minivan? How exciting that was. Man, a minivan, how cool. I can carry the whole crowd to Disney World and back. We can go anywhere. We can do this. We can do that. About three years later, you're hauling firewood in the back of it, right? You're wondering if you can get that rocker you just bought to to strap to the top of it. Somebody said you might be a redneck if when you clean out your minivan, there's a a full Happy Meal somewhere in the back. And that's where we get. What was so exciting in that moment, Like that day you got married and now you're looking at that same husband going, you know what? He's kind of like my minivan. Somewhere in the back there, there's an extra Happy Meal. I don't know what happened. We become consumed with food that perishes. The more we get, the less satisfied we are with it. Verse 28, Therefore they said to him, so they begin to play along, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus makes it so clear. Verse 29, he answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Now notice they're chained to the idea of work. You're working for food, but I want to And notice up in verse uh, uh, 27, he says, uh, which the son of man will give to you. In other words, you don't have to work for this, but they're chained to work. So what kind of works do we need to do? And so Jesus plays along and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. It just can't be any clearer than that. All you've got to do is believe. Now, it's more than just intellectual assent. It's more than checking the box to a proposition. Do you believe in Jesus? Click yes or no. Yes. It's not that. It's yielding your life to the lordship of Christ so that he becomes the sovereign ruler of your life. And, and I died to self and I live to Christ. And It's no longer I who lives. Paul said, but Christ lives in me. And that yielding of myself to the sovereignty of God radically alters what I think is of value and what I think is of importance. And it changes the way I view longing because Jesus begins to satisfy the deepest longing of my heart, which is to know my creator. (coughs) And so he says, all you've got to do for that is believe. And man, it's hard for us to get that because we feel like there has to be something else that's too, it's so easy that it doesn't seem real. And so I've got to work in some way. But look, man, it, it, as clear as it was, these people weren't looking for belief. They were looking for bread. They didn't want a savior. They wanted supper. So they said to him, verse 30, What then do you do for a sign? In other words, you know, if you want us to believe in you, you got to give us a sign so that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? And then verse 31, they give him a suggestion. Okay, here's a possible sign. I don't know, maybe we could think of a sign. Okay, how about this one? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. That's bread coming from heaven. As it's written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. We need a sign to believe you, they say. How about this for a sign? Manna. They basically said, okay, we'll believe you as long as you promise to satiate our hunger, as long as you keep feeding us. And this is really, guys, listen to my heart on this. This is really the core fallacy of the prosperity gospel because the prosperity gospel buys into the idea that you will eventually feel full if you can just feed yourself enough material things to satisfy that. And what we're demanding now from God is he becomes the supply of that. And so, God, when I'm hurting, I want to be able to pray, and I want you to take my hurt away. When I'm sick, you have to automatically heal me of my sickness. When I'm in uh, financial distress, you need to meet my financial needs. When uh, When I'm in relational problems, God, you need to solve that. If I've got a kid that rebels, I need to be able to expect you to fix that. And if you notice, what happens is it turns the whole relationship, and this is important to understand, it turns the relationship upside down. And I no longer live and serve God. He lives and serves me. Do you feel it? Are you seeing what I'm saying? He's not sovereign. I am. There's a word theologians use for this. It's called anthropocentric faith. It means man-centered faith. It means that, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you keep the bread line open. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who's given you bread out of heaven. but It's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, they're thinking about real bread. They want to feel full. Jesus is saying, this bread fills you. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. They sound like the woman at the well. You know, when Jesus said, you know, if you knew who I was and the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. She's like, give me some. I need it. And here's where the bubble bursts. It bursts every time. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And man, you can just feel the air going out of the crowd because what he's essentially saying is the problem isn't physical. The problem is spiritual. And because the problem isn't physical, the answer isn't physical. The answer is spiritual. That longing in your heart is not so much a longing for more bread. It's a longing for your creator because you're separated from him by sin. Now, they didn't want that answer, and frankly, neither do we, because we want a God that's going to meet all of our physical cravings, right? And and it starts with bread, and then it becomes stuff, and then experiences, and then cravings, and there's no end to the cravings. And here's why, because when you feed a craving, the craving is never satisfied. It only gets bigger. The flesh is never satisfied. And and you look at our world today, and that's where we are. The craving just grows, or it changes. Okay, I've got that thing; I'm satisfied in that area. But now I I realize I need this thing even more. Look, if you want to be, if you want to feel full, you got to be filled full. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. And that's when the crowd turned. You see, not only did they realize, wait a minute, I don't think he's going to feed us tonight. That kind of makes them mad. But also, they didn't like what he was saying about himself. I'm the bread coming down from heaven. And they didn't like the implications that that meant for them. So look, therefore the Jews were grumbling down to verse 41 about him. They were grumbling. That's an interesting word, grumbling. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, it takes the same Greek word, translates it different. They were complaining, which becomes a characteristic Of this kind of faith that says, in order for me to follow God, He's got to constantly make my life satisfying because the minute I become dissatisfied, what do I do? I grumble and I complain. Because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Notice, they're not upset that he said he was the bread. They said they're upset because he said he was the one that came down from heaven. And so they begin to grumble, and then they begin to get aggressive. Verse 42, they were saying, is this not Jesus? I mean, remember, this is Galilee. Nazareth is in Galilee where Jesus grew up. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I've come down out of heaven? Wait a minute. This guy's not going to give us more bread, is he? Even though, now look, even though he had fed 5,000 with five loaves the day before, they had completely forgotten that story, and now Jesus is just another boy growing up in Nazareth, right? Who does he think he is? This is Mary and Joseph's boy. And here's the message. Look, preacher boy, just give us the bread and no one gets hurt. That's what they're saying. But rather than back down, Jesus again ratchets it up. And by the way, Jesus never seemed to be very concerned with a crowd. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. He said, I'm the bread of life, man. He doesn't say man, I inserted that part. (laughs) Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Isn't that true? This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give will give for uh, the life of the world is my flesh. And so Jesus has created this beautiful tension between manna and himself. And there's this beautiful paradox of manna as daily bread and him being eternal life, the bread of life. Do you see it? You see, manna was daily bread. You may not know the story, but God delivered the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt through his servant Moses. And when they got into the wilderness, they were hungry. And so in order to supply the food needs for those people... What he did was he provided this thing called manna, and every morning they would wake up and the manna was all over the, all over the ground. I kind of picture instant potato flakes kind of stuff. I don't really know what it looked like, but that's kind of how it's described. They said it tasted like coriander or whatever that is. And, and the deal with manna was so interesting because when you picked up the manna, do you know how long it lasted? One day, one day. So if you kind of become a hoarder and you think, well, I'm going to gather up like a lot of manna because if the supply shuts off, I'm going to be like the manna king and I'm going to corner the market in manna. And we're going to have manna bread and manna bagels and manna waffles and, you know, we're going to have it all, right? But if you picked up more than one day's worth, it rotted. The only the only exception was on Friday they could pick up two days worth so they wouldn't have to pick it up on the Sabbath, but it was only for that day and that day alone. And the next day you got what you needed. And that's this beautiful image of how God takes care of us. But here's what's interesting to me. God did that. Now, depending on when you date the Exodus for 1440 or 1220, I don't know, let's say 1300 and kind of split the difference. If if the Exodus happened 1300 B.C., then that means that 1300 years before Jesus gave this sermon, God set it up. He said, I'm going to show you what daily bread looks like. You eat it, you hunger, you eat it, you hunger, you eat it, you hunger, you eat it, you die. But I want to show you what I am and who I am through my son Jesus. You eat me, you never hunger again. Jesus was the bread of life. And their problem was, our problem, they confused daily bread with the bread of life. And they thought, if I could just get more daily bread, then I would be satisfied. When they didn't understand, I will never be satisfied until I get the bread of life, no matter how much daily bread I get. You know, we, we think if we would just get a, a bigger allotment. <laughs> Remember when you got that raise and you thought, man, we are financially free until next year. <laughs> they did a survey of all Americans, regardless of how much they make, and they said, how much do you need in order to uh, make ends meet? And the answer was about 30000 more than I currently make. Everybody you will never be satisfied you'll never be full and these these words were hard to accept because jesus is talking about eating me and eating my flesh and even the disciples struggled skip down to verse 60 therefore many of the disciples when they heard this Uh, heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And as a result, verse 66, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So they're leaving. Now this in the 12, these are the other disciples who are sort of engaged loosely with Jesus. It's not the 12 disciples. And, but there's this massive fallout so much so that Jesus now in verse 67 turns to the 12 and says, do you, uh, you don't want to go away also, do you? And, and, you know, Simon Peter, you know, he had a way of sticking his foot in his mouth, but this time he got it right. He answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. You know what Peter's remembering? He's remembering the night before. He's remembering being in that boat. He's remembering looking up at Jesus walking on that water. And that impacted him. You know, John doesn't say it. We didn't deal with it when I looked at this a couple of weeks ago. But Matthew says Peter got out of that boat when he saw Jesus walking toward him, took a couple of steps and started to sink. And Jesus had to lift him out of the water. And everybody kind of makes fun of him. You know, look at Peter. He's the first out of the boat, he's the first to sink. But if I'm Peter, I'm going, yeah, but I took a couple of steps. And ain't nobody else ever done that. I got a couple of steps before I sunk. And in the process of being lifted out of that water man, he knew who it was that he was worshiping. He says, "You alone have words of eternal life. 69. We've believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of God. We're not going anywhere because we get it. This isn't about bread. This is about living. It's about life. It's about eternal life." So Here's the point. You have to be full of Jesus or you'll never feel full. And I want you to hear that. Unless Jesus satiates your spiritual longing, you will always be hungry no matter how much bread you have. I mean, you understand this seminal principle, and you take it as a filter to lay upon your understanding of modern culture, and you lay it on top of it, and you look at our world today, if this world will never feel full without being fulfilled in Christ, then they will always be hungry. Now, all of a sudden, our world makes sense. Because we look at it, look at the headlines. There's hate and rage and drug addiction and despair and emptiness and suicide and gender confusion and all these other things that are driven by longing and dissatisfaction and emptiness. And it all comes back to a hopelessness that comes because they haven't been filled with Jesus. And all they do, they spend their life on daily bread instead of being satisfied with the bread of life. And the really sad thing is Christians can do this too. And we can get caught up in it too. Look, when you give God all of you, he gives you all you need. Ephesians 3.19, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Isn't that a great word? So what does it look like? I mean, how do I do it, right? How do I I get full of Jesus? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's how you get full. And when we get full of Jesus, we feel fulfilled. You say, what's it look like when I'm full of Jesus? Um, I'd say two things quickly and I'm done. First of all, when you're spiritually full, you're not so physically hungry. The problem in hunger, the problem is hungering for the wrong thing. You know, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What, and what happens? For they shall be satisfied or filled. We're always going to be hungry. It's what are you hungry for? What are you hungering for? If you hunger only for the things of this life, you will never find satisfaction. You'll always be hungry. And so all those things that you thought would satisfy, you won't. When you believe in Jesus, it's not that you're never hungry again, because hunger is a good thing. It, It reminds us we have need. I get hungry. I know I need nutrition, but I'm not defined by those longings anymore. That's the difference. And when you're spiritually full, you exhibit joy. You know, some people think that the Christian life is all about being so holy and sanctified that you can't have any fun because fun is somehow wrong and bad. And you sure don't want to let them see. man, I've had my share of joyless, angry Christians. And I say, no, thanks. Not only are they super unpleasant, but it's very unbiblical. John Piper wrote this little book called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. And the premise of the book is that we're called to live with joy. He said, we must delight and be delighted in God. He quotes Jonathan Edwards, who said, God is glorified not only in his glory being seen, but in his glory being rejoiced in. You see, fulfilled people are joyful people. And if you're not joyful, then there's something wrong with your fulfillment. Piper compares it to kissing your wife. He wrote, There is no pleasure. If if there is no pleasure in the kiss, the duty of kissing has not been done. Delight in her person expressed in the kiss is part of the duty, not a byproduct of it. In other words, it's not really a kiss if you don't enjoy it. So imagine men, you say to your wife, Honey, I'm going to kiss you now. Get over here. I don't really want to do it. I don't really have any joy in it. But I know I got to. So get over here so I can get this kiss out of the way and be done with it. Ladies, any takers on that kiss? But that's how we approach God. We're like, we're supposed to be fulfilled in Him, but we're so still filled with longing that we can't enjoy life. And so consequently, our unhappiness may be the fact that we've hungered for the wrong thing. And if you're constantly longing and comparing and complaining and demanding, then probably what's happened is you're still seeking after daily bread instead of the bread of life. Because what happens when I don't get satisfied? I long, then I complain, then I demand. And there's no joy in that. But when I'm fulfilled and I wake up and I say, you know, God has given me all I need today for life and godliness. And there's not another thing in the world that I need in order to be the joy of Christ today and to be completely satisfied in him. You know what happens? That joy is expressed because it's part of the relationship. And it's not that I need more daily bread because I've already got living bread, right? So you have to be full of Jesus or you'll never be full. There's two, there's two applications to this I think are pretty obvious. If you're not full of Jesus, you're never going to be full. And so if you've never given your heart to Christ, all of this sense of emptiness and longing and dissatisfaction that you're constantly struggling with, that will never go away. Daily bread will never satisfy, no matter how much bread you have. You have to have living bread, the bread of life. And if you know you need that, what did he say? What do I need to do the works? He said, it's really not works. It's a gift. Believe in him who God sent, which is Jesus. And when I give myself fully over to Jesus, he gives me all I need for life and godliness. And so if you need Christ this morning, that's where you start. But there's a second application because I've seen Christians fall into this trap even though we've embraced faith in Christ. It's hard for us not to be affected by the world we live in. And this is a world that's defined by longing. And that same longing shows up in us when we confuse daily bread with living bread. And there may be some repentance that needs to go on in the lives of believers who have said, you know what, God, I have focused too much on the daily bread, and my satisfaction is tied to that. And, and when I don't get it, I'm disgruntled, I'm grumbling, I'm complaining, and I'm resentful. And if that's happening in your life, you need to repent of that and just get before the Lord and say, God, I will be satisfied. And I love what Piper said. He said, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. So let's just do that right now as we just, before Christ. Heavenly Father, we are before you right now in this sacred time. And there are people in this room who can hear my voice through the internet or radio and who need the bread of life. Um, they've spent their life chasing daily bread. Father, I pray that you would help them in this moment just to believe and to give you all that they know about themselves to all that they understand about you. We confess our sin, satisfy our longing. Right now, today, not tomorrow, today. And Father, I pray for those of us who are in Christ who become so infected and influenced by the world that we confuse daily bread with living bread. And even though we've been given so much, Father, we're not grateful. And we forget the greatest gift of all. And so Father, we repent of that. We lay our grumbling and our expectations and our demands at the foot of the cross. And Father, I pray you would satisfy us so that we would glorify you. And I thank you, Father, for the change that's happening right now in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need Jesus this morning, then I'm going to ask you to come. Maybe you just gave Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.